Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of Fandoms, Culture, and Perhaps a Few Murders where we discuss just that, fandoms, culture, and perhaps a few murders. I am your host, Spade, and with me as always is Al. Hey! And Feline. Hello! Now, fans can be awesome. Passion for the fandoms they love can inspire art, fiction, ranging from photo shoots, rather, to organic stories. In the advent of social media, however, the dark and cultish side becomes more prominent. Creators and workers can become targeted of death threats, petitions, and all types of vitriol. And these discussions that would normally be passionate ones can become polarizing and intense. In this episode, we will note some examples of this. We'll kick it off with Al. We all know or have at least heard of what a furry is, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, all right, super. So for anybody who's listening, doesn't know, it is an anthropomorphized animal avatar known as a fursona that is used in role-playing and not always sexually, though it clearly happens. Very much happens. Yeah. <laughs> they call it yefe. I'm not, I'm not a furry, but I am an ally. Having a very open and accepting community, it is not only inevitable that they would accept toxic members and for them to spread their hateful rhetoric and gain followers and just, you know, start a ball rolling. And who could I possibly be talking about but Nazis? Since 2007, when a group calling themselves Furzies, which is very, very immense, apparently, Furzies. That's hilarious. (laughs) Furzies started skirmishes with uh, Jewish Second Life gamers. And in in Second Life, it has a very large uh, furry community in there. That's where a lot of them, you know, congregate and stuff like that. Hence, it's it's like a picking and a digging ground for people who want to you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Manipulate the youth and people who feel like they're, you know, secluded as they are. Since 2007, when a group calling themselves Furzies started skirmishes with Jewish Second Life gamers, their ideal growing in its community, they were emboldened by the 2016 campaign of Drumpf. A group gaining ground called the Raiders were led by Foxler Nightfire, which is a fursona for uh, another gentleman. I don't remember if I give his full name because I don't want to give him clout. The Fur Raiders are led by Fossil Nightfair, a blue-eyed fursona who wears a red armband with a black paw in the center, similar in his design to the Nazi SS armbands. <laughs> they are. He made some, and due to such online backlash for it, he's trying to claim that it isn't what it stands for, so he makes multiple colored versions of them now. That's just a side note. And he also sits there and spouts hashtags old furry. Antifa furries have formed to combat and address the rising fascism problem in their group by calling out to others in the community to boycott conventions that don't ban the furry raiders and the armbands themselves. The problem is is that a lot of their members tend to be very gentle and geeky, so they're reluctant to exile fellow community members feeling like they would be as intolerant as them to the bullets that haggle them in their real lives, or in their regular lives. Some furry members claim that they're just conducting a social experiment and trolling while their opponents in the Antifa furs say that it's just plain bullshit and that they're using their personas to express their bigoted views, preying on vulnerable people who are already, again, feeling like they don't belong anywhere. The Raiders have been the cause of a few conventions to be shut down, such as the Rocky Mountain Fur Convention in 2017 due to increased security costs exceeding one-third of the event's operating budget due to online comments that have been seen credible by the police from threats on both sides. Most recently, as of 2019, the founder of the Raiders was charged with sexual offenses with a child, and two other members were arrested for intimidating a witness for him, as well as seven other members on various charges stemming from forging fake legal documents and attempting to lure a child with intent to trap, frame, extort, and harass the child. 
some members posing as 12 to 14 year old children online to lure the kid out. It's insane that they're supposed to be a social, that they're, you know, fucking around and trolling people, but yet there are people willing to sacrifice themselves and commit jail time for somebody. I was gonna say, it sounds like a furry turf war, which is really funny. Right, but it's, it, it's racist. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all could have just keep that to like, yo, you know, like Naruto clan type shit. Or, you, yeah. you know, the, the Hidden Leaf Village versus the Song Village. Like, you just couldn't keep it like that? No, that had to be racist shit into it. One commenter claimed that they had had some interaction with the leader of the furries through communication with their ex. The person's persona is called Silver Jackal. They had stated the following. I ran into Foxwood one time a year ago. My ex-boyfriend was being lured into joining Fury Raiders and the promise of love and attention by Foxer himself. Foxer tried to message me via Skype after learning about me from my ex. Being a social furry, I chatted with Foxer a few times. The chat started off casual, but then they went kind of odd. They started going odd when Foxer talked about my ex and how they were in the process of dating, but that it would change depending on consensus from the rest of the furry raiders. This struck me as odd, so I prodded Foxer to explain. He explained that he liked to operate furry raiders like a hive mind, and allow members to do the thinking for others. Foxer stated that if all groups agreed on it, he and my ex would start dating. However, if the group later told him to do so, they would dump my ex without hesitation. After this bit of news, I started prodding Foxer and my ex some more to uncover more about them and the furry raiders. After about a month or so, I uncovered the following thing. Number one, Foxer actually targeted my ex since he was on the RMFC members board at the time which is the, the Rocky Mountain Furry Convention board members at the time, with the hopes of using him as a means to influence the con. Foxer then targeted me after hearing about me from my ex and hoped that he could try to bring me to the fold, expecting that I might be abused to him. Number two, Foxer's racist ideals go into strange waters. He confessed to me that it would be his dream come true if the world became filled with only a group of beings that had no race, no gender, had a uniform ideology, and did all things including reproduction based solely on logic alone and act as a hive mind with no individual concept of free will. Number three, Foxler doesn't really consider himself a furry. Actually, he views furry fandom as nothing more than a massive social experiment to control. He told me that if he had the means to do so, he would try to shut down the furry community by systematically acquiring every con and website and shutting them down one by one. After the shutdown and members of the fandom leaving being left stranded, Foxer would then build a new community modeled in his image and ideals with means of drawing in and influencing the former furry fandom. In Foxer's belief, since people are social creatures by nature, their longing to be a part of a group would draw them to his new community regardless of the individual ideas, and he could use that longing to have people follow him blindly. This sounds like a cult. That's what I'm saying. That's what, that's what I was thinking when I looked this up. Because a friend hit me to this about the, the furry Nazis thing. And I was just like, I'm going to use it for this, talk, for this week's topic. But yeah, it sounds like he's trying to make a cult. And it looks like he's got some work because clearly people are looking to get jail time for him. I just think it's really funny that something, though it's an acquired taste and all that, I get it. But something as innocuous as furry culture has some nazi shit and how come always cult leaders have to like you know do shit in their image it's it about them they're, <laughs> they're psychopaths it's sociopaths mixed in one to like a little ball of gel of hate and self-loathing and uh, uh, all i love is me they're narcissists yeah and because of that they'll never do anything wrong so everything that they think about themselves be it true false or whether or not they think they're the next fucking messiah to them, it's absolutely right because they can never be wrong. 
And I get the idea of like preying on vulnerable people who don't necessarily feel like they belong in wider it's society. It's prime waters. But like anyone who actually thinks or agrees with the Nazi ideology, I hope they know like Hitler would not accept furries. He wouldn't. Yeah, no, but Hitler doesn't even fade his own ideals. Yeah, it's just like such a funny image specifically to have this kind of group of people who are often considered outsiders following a very famously racist and strict mindset of like being a Nazi. Like those two things don't really go together, you know what I mean? Right. I think that the whole talk of in their image, you know it's based on like the messianic complex and if we're believing what the bible says where you know everything was to be done in his image that's where they're basing it on since christ or god is supposed to be like the purest that anybody who is a little off and creates these cults are going to do it in their image as well just to have something to you know kind of connect to Mm -hmm. so they want to be god yeah, most people who are in cults are always wanting to be God. They want to be God, but the only way people would sit there and accept them was if they were a Messiah instead. Well, they have to sit there and make themselves be holier than thou. Right. And so, so as long as they they have a way of showing that they're better than you and you need to look up to them is what their main goal is. You can act like you're their God, but they know that there's a God. And as long as they think that you're like the messenger of said God, the people are down wholeheartedly. But especially people, you sit there and show them love that they don't have in real life. That's how gang members sit there and recruit other gang members. It's like, a home, it's like a homegrown loyalty. Exactly. And as soon as they sit there and get their hooks into somebody, and, and it's always worse when it's someone who's disenfranchised or they're ostracized, they're prejudiced, they're, you know, victimized, they're, they're being tortured in some sort of way in their lives. And as soon as anyone grabs that hand, they're shining in light. And you need to do whatever for that loyalty because they sat there and gave you a moment of peace. Regardless of how that peace came and what that peace cost, it was peace. I don't know. I don't think I would be, you know, looking up to someone who is convicted as a pedophile, you know? Yeah, but they don't know that at the time. You're talking to the person who lives their life on the computer, lives their life inside of that suit. So that fursona is who they are, not the person that they work to get the money for that fursona to live that life behind closed doors. That's not who you're talking to. As pertaining to influence, I don't think that, you know, you would be because you're not mentally in the space that that person is. So of course you're not going to do that. If you were, however, that's different. Would you if things were really, really looking bad, no matter whatever that situation is. Obviously, from where you stand, it's easy to sit there and say that, well, mentally, and, you know, like, my confidence, my self-assuredness, self-esteem isn't broken, isn't malleable, so, of course, somebody like that's not going to have an influence on you. But for these people who are not in your position, it's a little bit easier for them because... You know, they're just looking for a hand-me-out anywhere. And they're willing to take it, even from someone who may... And this is not necessarily to this, you know, this story. But we're just in there saying as far as, you know, uh, alluding to cults and and gang mentality. How they recruit people. They're not looking for older-ass adults like us. Or headstrong people. They're not looking for headstrong. If me, myself, and I sat there and jumped into the furry community alone for so nice shit... And they couldn't recruit me. I'm too Vulcan in my mindset to ever fall for bullshit like that. 
So they wouldn't target people like me. They'd target someone my kid's age, 13, 14, who's being made fun of the people in school who, you know, maybe other people saw a drawing that they made instead of making fun of them about it and it started, you know, throwing in the seeds of insecurity without someone at the, at least at the very home base for them to, to have some sort of emotional support. If they don't have an open door there, they don't have someone to talk to there, the only place they can go is online. So other people who dress like them, who look like them, who act like them, who maybe might show them interest. And this is, again, when kids are learning about sex and stuff like that. So when you involve something like that and include gifting or you know, the promise of affection and, you know, affection plus the possibility of more, it's it's also a, another drag because, again, they're kids burgeoning with hormones, anxiety, regret, tension, fear. I can understand the, like, idea of seeking comfort in wherever you can find it, but I just can't put myself in the mindset where, like, as I'm looking for comfort from this person, I feel like I'd hear those contradictions a little too much, you know? And all the shit they're fucking spewing, it would hit my ears and it'd be too hard to ignore, you know what I mean? Right, but you're also listening for subtext and people don't, some people just don't have that ability or just aren't taught that in school or, or learn that as they grow older. So, like, you also see, you know red flags, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, they didn't approach you at an earlier age while you were still impressionable. Right. My story is about the case of the quote-unquote real-life yandere. So, back in 2019, on May the 23rd, in Shinjuku, Japan, a woman, Yuka Takaoka, was arrested for stabbing her boyfriend with a kitchen knife in his liver. The boyfriend known as Phoenix Luna was a host at a girls' bar where the suspect, Takaoka, also worked and met Luna. She came to like Luna and even rented him out for an entire month. They started to date, and it was on the 23rd that Luna had promised to help Takaoka clean her apartment. He arrived three hours late, and once he arrived, he decided to take a bath. After the bath, he decided to take a nap, during which Yuka looked through his phone and found pictures of another girl, likely another patron of the host bar, and after seeing this, she decided to stab him in his sleep. Yeah, you can't fuck around with host bar bitches. Some of them are a special breed. (laughs) Yeah. After getting stabbed, he awoke, of course. Of course. Of course. And due to the shock and panic, he pushed her away and was able to make it five floors down to the lobby where he fell unconscious. Takaoka was right behind him the whole time, and when passerbys found both Yuka and Takaoka and Phoenix Luna, they called police and took photos. The main photo that went viral was of her sitting on the floor, smoking a cigarette and talking on the phone, all while having Luna's body right behind her and his blood all over her, the floor, and him, and police approaching her. While she's just this. Yeah, while she was just sitting there casually. Like she's just chilling, like nothing's wrong. Yo, she was just like I do she looked like she just lost a bet. I remember seeing that picture. <laughs> Not committed a whole ass murder. I was like, yo, she's mad casual right now. Another viral photo that went out posted everywhere was of her grinning in the back of a police car. <laughs> After her arrest, as more details came out, or she described her motive for the attack as saying, Since I loved him so much, I just couldn't help it. She also stated that she wanted to die and that she'd kill him because I thought that's how I could be with him. She said that she planned to kill herself after watching him die from his stabbing. But after stabbing him, he quote, said that he liked her. So she just chilled. So he needed to reaffirm that 
he didn't like the other bitch he was talking to. He liked her. Right, right. So now she's cool. She's like, oh, okay. <laughs> they could have had this conversation before all this, you know. Right, yo, she full ass stabbed his ass. She didn't even like confront him. She just stabbed him. And if I can't have you, nobody will. Can we admit that if you work in an industry that requires you to hug up on a bunch of females or to hug up on a bunch of males, such as, you know, what do they call it? You, were, you just called it. The host bars. Yeah, the host bars. Okay, so with the host bars, you have to understand that these hosts are for the streets. They're literally for the streets because they're there to sit there and hit on every woman to get them a drink, regardless of what it is. Of course, they're going to sit there and have like pictures of women and shit on their phone. They're not encouraged to have any type of relationship with these women, but of course they do. These women come there to pay them money. If you don't think they're trying to get cash on the side as well, then you're fucking crazy. Like, I don't understand the logic of some of these females. It's like, if I sat there and started to date a prostitute off the street, all of a sudden I'm going to sit there and get mad that off fucking for money. She also did rent him out for an entire month, and I don't know how much that costs, but... It's striptease. You sit there paying money. I wonder how much she got for him. I will, I will tell you this. The fact that you know for a fact you rented him out for a month, there should have been some discussions about parameters of, you know, during this month. Okay, I paid for your time for 30 days. You cannot do this, that, and the fourth. Now, if he reneged on any part of that, that's breaking a contract. Nah, you can't. There's expectations you should sit there and have for certain things, and you can't have the same. No, that's fine. I'm just sitting there saying, no, no, that's fine. You know, I'm not. I'm only talking about within the parameters of the time she paid for. She paid for him for a month, which means he cannot be sitting there offering his goods and services to anybody else for 30 days. Supposedly. His value went up because she rented him out for a month. Yeah, well, publicity pops up there and he's like, damn, if she's renting him for a month, what can he be doing? And now, now he has a scar that he can sit there and show the bitches to. Like, this is my scar. Would you like to buy me a drink and help you feel better? It's like shit. Probably charge more now because he right. became like a yeah. pseudo-celebrity kind of within that aspect of that job. Well, speaking of celebrity, her case <laughs> went very viral. It was super sensationalized. They found a diary that she had written in while waiting for police to arrive where she wrote, I like you, or suki, over and over and over again, and even wrote, I like you so much I wanted to kill you, all in his blood. <laughs> She's a fucking psycho. And the fact that he said, no, baby, I'm with you, don't worry. He literally was like giving her the equivalent of I may be out here with all these hoes, but I still come home to you. And she's like, okay, everything's forgiven now, even though I stabbed you. He also said it though while he was bleeding out. So there might be, you know, a little motive <laughs> behind it. <laughs> Some relating with the psycho type shit. We all know what his job is. We all know what he's supposed to do. She very well knew what it was when she rented him for a month. Right. Right. Now, he's supposed to sit there and, like I said, I don't know what the agreement would have been to rent, what the rules are, but if I was going to look at this as like some sort of like a regular contract, I am renting your services. You are supposed <laughs> to be fixing my house or doing the job for me for one month. That does, not, that does not mean that you entertain other clients while I paid for your time. Do you see what I'm saying? From what I've gathered so far, it sounds like he was the one that fucked up. Now, granted, she went overboard with stabbing him, whatever, but I'm just saying, though, he reneged on that deal if he is still sitting there entertaining other people. And, I, and, you know, your job is what it is, but your job was to 
get someone to pay for your time, which they have a month's worth of it. You know what I mean? So unless it's one of those things where okay, she paid for eight hours a day, every day. That means that whatever after that eighth hour, if he clocked out, so to speak, okay, then he's obviously free to do whatever. But if it's one of these situations where he gets to stay with her, or you know, like I said, I'm not familiar with the rules of how much right. time you know she was renting him for. But the fact right. of the matter is, there seems to be an agreement that was broken, and it seems like it's on his part that it was. So you're saying that there was contracts involved, stabbing was one of the... <laughs> it was her consequence. I, like I said, she went overboard with stabbing him or whatever. She could have <laughs> she could have complained to you know the agency or the, the post club that he was working for or whatever. It's like, look, I'm a paying customer. I paid for this time. He's not supposed to be entertaining anybody else at that time. Because his time is paid for now, you know? It's not like oh, I'm only renting you for two hours, and then after that two hours elapses, I want you to continue to focus on me. No, she actually paid for whatever the time frame was. So whether it's eight hours, five hours, whatever it is for that day for the majority of a month, it sounds like he didn't hold his end of the deal unless there's something like literally just an eight-hour shift. Now I can do whatever, you know? Right. I think when it comes to shit like that, he's still got a regular work because even if somebody sits there and rents you out for a month, you're not spending... 24 7 with that person for a full month it's probably like eight hours a day a couple days a week for a full month some shit like that well, then, you know what I'm saying? yeah but that's what it means it's like if you're paying for a whole ass month i would imagine that it let's just say if they're closed on weekends which i wouldn't uh, assume that they would be all that time and if work shifts are you know like six to eight hours so really his only job would be to entertain this one bitch every day <laughs> for 30 days you know what I mean? Or for whatever their time frame of a month is. Now, if he's sitting there working 16 hours, okay, then he's free to do something the rest of the eight hours or whatever the parameters were. But it sounds like he was in breach of this contract. You know what I mean? Yeah. Supposedly, they were dating. Yeah, I thought that's what it was. I thought that they were dating and he found pictures of a woman's other phone after he had sat there and been rented out by for a month. So she rented her boyfriend out. No, no, no. She rented him out after which... They are believed to have started dating. Oh, okay. So she paid for him and, and then they started dating. So even then after that, she literally, okay, so I thought she was the one getting the money. I thought she was perfect. That's where my mentality went. No. All right. So no, fuck that. Yeah, then she just doubled down. She sat there and paid for this motherfucker's time, paid for him to be with her, paid for him to be there. Hey, you get mad at a gigolo for doing gigolo shit. Supposedly <laughs> she was also a manager at a girl's bar. Oh, so she'd been prowling. She she knew the round. She knew the deal. She knew the environment. She she knew the culture. She knew all of it. She's playing herself. She sat there and started putting more into it when she knew any fucking big walleted bitch could come along and sweep her little man off of youthful looking face. Because we all know she's older than he is. I think they might have been roughly the same age. Like she might have been a year older than him. I need checks and balances. I feel like that's always happening. It's always the opposite sex of the person who's the worker is older than the worker. Because their clientele is gonna be not just lonely women, but women that their culture considers past their prime, which could be past marriageable age, which would be anywhere between mid-20s to early 30s. Well, the media actually kind of obsessed over her once this story broke. They called her too beautiful to be an attempted murder suspect. <laughs> I see the chauvinism is live. Yes, and lots of anime fans dubbed her a real-life Yandere. Adding to this, she actually cosplayed two anime characters, Himiko Toga from My Hero Academia 
and Zero Two from Darling in the Franks. I was gonna say, both of them are associated with obsessive affection. Dude, and Toga with the knife cutting blood scales. Dude, she knew what she was doing. She's thinking of stabbing him. She's had in her brain at least once or twice. If I ever catch this motherfucker with another female or see pictures of some other bitch, I'm gonna stab him. And I, she's thought about that at least a couple times. Adding to this, and also not to like plug her or anything, but <laughs> one of her social media accounts is Yuyuno-chan, which may or may not be a reference to Gasai Yuno, the it most is. famed anime yandere. So, yeah, absolutely both know it is. Yeah, it's, I think it's likely. I think it's likely. <laughs> it's absolutely likely. Clearly an anime fan. She has yandere on the brain. Due to all of this, she gained quite a following with people calling themselves fans of hers who donated $3,840 to a GoFundMe to pay for her legal bills. Get the fuck out of here. These are going to be the same people who sit there and, and I can't even hate because I have a document core too, but, but the, the, the body pillow covers and like walk around and marry it if they could. GoFundMe shut down the page. <laughs> <laughs> now, despite the odds, as a matter of fact, he had a 20% chance of survival, Phoenix Luna lived. He was unconscious for five days before waking up and starting his recovery. Despite needing therapy for his trauma, however, he forgave her and says he holds no grudge. Fuck out of here. That's because he's afraid she'll kick him in his sleep. <laughs> I mean, she almost did. Again. Now, I didn't find anything to, like, substantiate this, but one source said that he even pleaded to have her sentence reduced. Really? Yeah. I'm sorry. You stabbed me. No. Fuck out of here. It's not said that he, like, necessarily wanted to, like, remain in a relationship with her, but just that he forgave her at least and may have tried to plead with the judge to lessen her sentence. It only helps his image. Right. To help make him look benevolent and shit like that. It, like, you, like you stated earlier, reason is stop that. Because he sat there and forgave somebody who wronged him so much and then plus he'll have the sympathy of all the women like, oh, you got stabbed. How could she? And then, you know. He easily got booked for a couple of years straight. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That motherfucker's booked for months in advance. She ended up being sentenced to three years and six months and ordered to pay 5 million yen or the equivalent to $45,000. Oof. She and, clearly had the money because she bought it for a fucking month. Yeah. I mean, not, maybe not now after the, losing the job and going to jail, but... People are probably sending her money. I would not be oh, surprised. Yeah. She would have gotten offers coming out of jail. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, social media being it is what it is, she can make bank just that alone. She is scheduled to be released in 2023. Oh, she only got a year left. And Luna has resumed working at the host bar and actually became more popular. That's exactly <laughs> what I suspected, too. He was making, he's going to make that bank money. He had to sit there and look benevolent and shit. Of course I forgive her. She was an excellent client. And then the clients are like, oh, I want to be an excellent client. I would never stab you. Splash waterfalls. See, now the level of fanaticism that's coming out for her, though, is kind of disturbing because she actually gained a shit ton of followers. Like, she has 80,000 followers or, like, something crazy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're talking about fictional characters in anime ranging from Yandere and Sundere, of course, have legions of followers. Why wouldn't she? People are drawing fan art of her and calling her waifu. Of course. <laughs> I mean, like, how often do you get to see a beautiful psychopath? And that's what they see. They see their favorite anime psychopath in her. So, oh my god, that's so-and-so. You know, and they're just like, 
Mm, cosplay is this for me and that's how she'll make her money her history of stabbing that dude will carry her as long as she hands it up I was gonna say it's not clear how many times she stabbed him. It almost sounds from what I read like maybe just one really deep stab. So it was enough. Because there was a lot of blood. Stabbing is enough. There was a lot of blood and he had described his scar as being cross-shaped. So I don't know if it was like, you know, one deep stab and a little bit of twisting. Maybe he's twisting from the struggle. Because he did push her off and run. Like he was trying to outrun her to the elevator, down to the lobby. She got two strikes on him. She got two papa real quick. And that's what that cross is. She got two. He did also comment he can no longer drink liquor because he was stabbed in his liver. Oof. He'll be all right. Yeah, but he can, as long as he gets the bitches to, to drink the liquor, that's all that matters. Yep. He also had fellow hosts who said that they would drink on his behalf. I'm sure they would. Like one of the favorite hosts to him, this is my friend so-and-so, I can't drink, he's gonna take my drinks for me. You know, ham it up a little. It would absolutely work. And the more drinks that they get you to drink, the more money they get. He also did say that like part of him coming back to the host club was because of the like family that he built up there. Uh Uh-huh. And his boss offered him more money to come back because he wanted to build up on the fame. Yeah, cash cow. Now, to tie it in, to our overall topic this is disturbing proof that some people can't tell reality from fiction because they're supporting someone who committed a real crime actually hurt someone nearly killing him because they're associating her with anime characters and now i myself i won't lie i usually like you know yandere trope i like the characters but that doesn't mean i would go out there and support someone who's actually gonna murder someone you know i don't know if it's about not knowing reality from fiction. I think it's their fiction molding a little bit into their reality. A little of the world that they like, making it into the world that they can't stand. And having that little bit excites them. And having like a character that they admire, nearly imitated in real life, especially if that person starts cosplaying as them. The huge thing that drives people into like subscribing to people who cosplay and shit like that. Well, isn't that the point of cosplay by itself? Like you don't need to go out there and actually stab someone in order to portray yourself as a character. You know what I mean? You oh, dress yeah, up. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, having them go that little bit farther, it hammers it home for them. It's like seeing someone dressed up in a shitty Sailor Moon cosplay and seeing someone dressed up in a really good cosplay it's the difference of making it more realer for them and the more realer the experience is the more serotonin their brain feeds them from the experience but i'd say most people can healthily draw a line between like what's okay and what's not you know what i mean and there's oh yeah and i know some people are just doing it to talk her last post saying like how people love her they would do anything for her and they want her to stab them you know some of it of course is talk but people who might actually mean those things those are the ones you need to be like you know concerned for absolutely because they're 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 bleed, they're trying to bleed the world together and then they're going to try to take up a persona that the other person isn't going to be tying into and then that person can turn into a fanatic and then that could be a slippery slope too there's real danger in people not being able to make safe distinctions even if it's not quote-unquote like actually you know not knowing reality from fiction but not making that healthy distinction of like what is okay and what isn't like cosplay is okay killing someone isn't right i absolutely agree that's funny though it is funny, and it's sort of caused a bit of a turf war. I wouldn't say anything huge, but definitely, like, you can see on the comments of those posts, people oh, yeah, who are... toxic. 
Oh yeah, for sure. Completely toxic because there are people who are obviously against such acts and talking shit and talking down to these people like, go get help. You're fucking sick. Like roasty therapy. For real. For real. If you find it hot if she stabbed her man's wife and it was for all forgiven, you have issues, bruh. You may need to see some help on that. You may need to see somebody. And unfortunately, it in toxic fandoms specifically, besides having, you know, real life crimes committed, there are times where people who claim to be doing something for a good reason, like harass other people for, you know, not liking the right character and so on. Gatekeeping. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, specifically, I'll talk about a personal thing. Not that I've ever been attacked, but... I've been given a long time. I certainly have been attacked and heard enough of go in the kitchen, make me something to eat, or I'll rape you, or all kinds of other shit. Just oh, yeah. Off. I've heard it all. Specifically, in, like, the Ruby fandom, it gets pretty toxic. Like, I like a character who is widely deemed as someone you're not supposed to like. He's a bad character. He's not a good person. But I like him. And he does okay. all... Adam Taurus, and he displays some Yandere-type qualities. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but see, I can tell the difference between a character who does bad things in a show who doesn't really hurt anyone versus a real-life person really hurting people, you know? Yeah. There are people within that fandom who will harass and, like, verbally abuse other people who like that character because he's quote-unquote bad, even though there is the distinction that no one's actually getting hurt by this fictional character, but they are really harassing you. Yeah, some people have real fucking problems when it comes to just like anything, opposing views. If you, if you don't like a certain person this way, then you're, you don't really like that person. If you don't know this fact about this anime, then you're not really a fan. I hate that gatekeeping shit. Any character is made to have people like or dislike them, and it's clearly up to you to decide what your cup of tea is. Not everybody fucking likes Ursula, but I think that bitch was fully legally well with her rights to claim everything. But every part of that fucking story, everybody had warnings and full accountability for their actions. And the only person who was in the right was the only person who got wrong. And I'm, I'm a huge Ursula fan and I will fight her legitimacy of fucking ruling the fucking oceans forever because it was signed over. It was agreed upon about multiple parties. Hell, when you walked into her cave, you saw the fucking floor of creatures looking to come for it and look at me warning you. Don't do this. Take it to court. Don't do this. Right. Entire ocean floor full of kelp. People, people, her own people turned into kelp. She had a rug of people just telling you don't do this. Look, we have eyes. <laughs> and she tells her in a song all these people here went back on their loans went back on their promises the spells their cosigns every one of those people were breach of contract poor unfortunate souls yeah exactly poor unfortunate souls is one of my favorite songs too but yeah like this kind of the well my entry happens to go with toxic reactions to casting of actors in prominent comic book roles Back in the 80s, Michael Oslin, who was a producer, had the idea of wanting to get a live-action Batman film made. Now, this was following after the Adam West series, which we all know was campy and humorous, and was basically like a, a comic book come into live-action. Yep. Because of that, everywhere he tried to pitch the idea, he was getting rejected everywhere. And since he was also told, reportedly by a, a studio executive, that the Batman property is as dead as the dodo, quote unquote. The way that Uslan was, uh, you know, was trying to pitch it was, 
that it was going to be, you know, dark and serious. And it would end up taking just about a decade before Tim Burton ever got to the project. And ten now, years. Yeah, but so that's a good ten-year wait, though. Well, he was in the middle of, or he just completed Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Oh yeah, wait, wait, was it Mad Merle or whatever the hell the truck driver chick was, and her face got all crazy and shit? Yeah. And this was when he was about to go into production on adapting Beetlejuice. And so, you know, that decade there was a mix of the producer trying to get this film seriously taken to be made and finding someone legit to try to adapt the property for live action. So at the time, an interesting tidbit was that a composer, uh, which was like a friend of Tim's, had suggested Michael Keaton to be the title role of Beetlejuice. And at the time, Tim Burton was like, who's Michael Keaton? And so the guy told him that he'd seen him in a couple of things and that he's got a good range, good comedic timing. You know, like basically like talked him up. Sure does. So Tim uh, had cast him. And then after the success of Beetlejuice, Burton automatically was going to bring Keaton on board for Batman. And that would be in 1988 when he was officially cast in the role. He felt that Keaton had the chops to get into Bruce Wayne's head to bring out the dark tone and said that uh, Keaton's eyes and eyebrows were the biggest sell to him. Oh yeah, the peaks. Yeah. And like, dude, he killed it. He's my Batman. He's forever my Batman. Keaton, my Batman forever. They And then, of course... Burton landed the big fish when he got Jack Nicholson to sign on to be the Joker. Oh, yeah. And he wanted Nicholson specifically because he wanted to tap into Nicholson's character of Jack from The Shining. So he wanted to take that manic part and just expand upon it. I was going to say that kind of crazy look. Yeah. Here's Johnny. I don't want to hurt you. I just want to bash your brain. Now, after the role was cast, fans everywhere started to throw tantrums and they literally wrote like 50,000 letters to Warner Brothers to tell them to take him off the project. 50,000 letters. What? Now, at this time, the LA Times had an article dated July 3rd, 1988, and quote unquote, Keaton might have made a good joker, but his comic style, which he seems unable to shake but can amplify, has doomed this quote unquote serious treatment of Bob Kane's character, who also didn't like the casting, by the way, the creator of Batman. The boring level of artificial quote-unquote camp that made the TV series a hit yet simultaneously doomed it to an early cancellation. By casting a clown as Batman, Warner Brothers and Burton have defecated on the history of Batman and on the hopes of those who appreciate the character and his potential. That is a lot of hate for a lot of people with no fucking imagination. Following this, at the Chicago Comic Con in that same month, same year, the tone was also less than cordial regarding the choice of Keaton as it was noted how the mood of the fans who were attending the convention was hardly very confident. They were taking the decision very personally as like an affront and thought that this was an intentional decision to make one of their heroes and by association them, quote unquote, look stupid. But what about the fucking original context? It's dark. Well, that's what Bob Kane was focused on when he created the character. He said that it's supposed to be dark. It's not supposed to be, you know, comedic, whatever. Although he didn't seem to have an issue with Adam West's portrayal of the, the character, at least not that I read. And then even even Uslan, who was trying to get the project off the ground, kind of questioned Burton on why, why Michael Keaton. The fans, their arguments were, one, he didn't look the part. Two, his build was all wrong. He wasn't tall enough. He had a comedic background. And, you know, they were very vocal angrily so you can almost imagine that if social media was a thing back then what 
this would have been. It probably been as similar as it was for the recent, you know, castings in the in the past like 20 years. Get this: the studio had certain people in mind when they were actually thinking about trying to recast Batman, and none of these people, from what I can picture, could have pulled this off. And when I read these off to you, I'm pretty sure you won't think the same, or you'll think the same as I do, rather. So Warner Brothers had thought that Burton was going to make this movie similar to Pee-wee's Big Adventure, okay? And they actually considered Mel Gibson, Harrison Ford, Tom Selleck, Charlie Sheen, Kevin Costner, Dennis Quaid, Pierce Brosnan, and Ray Liotta. I feel like there's too many stereotypical like Italian things that we put Ray Liotta into. All these people sound like obviously big Hollywood leading men at that time because they were. I can understand the bankability of having someone seasoned or whatever there. Right. Um, so I think they were trying to play it safe. Obviously they were looking seriously at you know like they were definitely taking the Batman movie that they supposedly didn't really want to make you know seriously enough to you know try to land any one of those big fish you know at that time. Yeah. Not only did that happen at that time, obviously when they start filming, the director will show what they call dailies to the producers uh, and to the studio themselves so they can kind of get a preview of what they're seeing before you know it gets further on into production. So during those dailies, the first previews that the studio got to see put them at ease immediately because they saw that Keaton proved that he could hang with Nicholson. His uh, improvised I'm Batman line had returned Batman to the dark and dignity that was created back in 1939, so felt the creator of the character. Now that they're feeling all good about that, when the movie opened, it grossed $40.49 million in its opening weekend, which it broke the opening weekend record at the time, which there was none. And it was the fastest movie ever to make it to $100 million and finished with $411 million worldwide. Now, if you adjust that to today's dollars with inflation, that's about $850 million. It's the 66th highest grossing film of all time in North America, made $150 million in home video sales alone. And considered that North America alone sold around 60 million tickets, if you consider the average movie price today around $9.01, you're looking at it making around $540 million just in America. And that would put it about fifth all time on the list of highest grossing Marvel movies in comparison. And it was a monster hit. So, and, and uh, d- even despite the fact that it opened on way fewer screens than Marvel movies opened on now. Like Marvel movies opened on around 4,300 screens when Batman back then only opened on just under 2,200. And it was still able to gross about fifth all time of any Marvel movie that currently came out if you adjust it for inflation. Because the movie is dope. And of course, it's been widely credited for setting the superhero blockbuster as we know it today anyway. So it was responsible for actually making the weekend box office be more important to a movie's success than it was taken before. Because they really weren't looking at opening weekends like that until that movie came out. Not even Superman in 1978 did that. And that one was a bit more easy but not by much for studios to bank on. It's also responsible for studios wanting to narrow the amount of time that a movie spent in theaters before it came out on home video which back then seemed to take forever between theater release and home video release. Having seen, and granted you can sit there and say there's been generations and since when the stories came about Heath Ledger being cast as the Joker or Ben Affleck being cast as Batman 
and even more recently Robert Pattinson stepping into the role. For all the people who came out to again talk a bunch of crap about, oh, I can't see these people playing it, they were trying to ruin the character, it's like you would think that after all this time you would have learned that, hey, something that may seem like it doesn't make sense ended up working. You know, so it's yeah, like you would think. I didn't like Batfleck. I did. I, would, I didn't think I'd like Batfleck, and I do. So, absolutely, I get what you're saying. But you know, it seems like there wasn't really any growth in terms of people being a little bit more open-minded. At the very least, you would think that would open people's minds up a bit to people being cast. And I understand that a name could turn you off completely because you can't see it. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, actors are looked at as artists, so they're supposed to take something and make it work or make it their own. Exactly, their job is to act. Like me and Jared, you know, I can't stand his act. I don't respect him as an actor. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what the fuck he's in, I'm gonna be mad at it. Like, I, I recently got mad over the fact that I like a song and found out it was by a group I didn't know he was a part of. Well, you could sit there and, and not be faulted for liking something that that person put out better than them trying uh, something else that they're not necessarily their, you know, is not necessarily their job. I mean, his first job is to be the front man for that band. It isn't to be an actor. He's just trying to spread his wings. So you can like his music. It doesn't mean you have to like his acting. I just have all kinds of antipathy toward him. I just, I just, I can't even list it. Just the idea, though, that so many people can't, in their heads, allow an actor to be anything other than themselves. Like, their job is to act. They're not supposed to be the same character in every single thing. So just basing the fact that you don't think they can be this because of previous roles is kind of, like, ignorant to the fact that they aren't always playing that character. Granted, I will say, and I will say, Mark Wahlberg... (laughs) As um, Sully in the Uncharted movie, Mark Wahlberg will always be Mark Wahlberg. He cannot be anything else. He's such a dude bro. Well, in this case, it's like Mark Wahlberg is typecast as Mark Wahlberg. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> it's like... No, what it is, people have to make movies around Mark Wahlberg being Mark Wahlberg because he can't be anything else. He always is playing that same character, even though you could sit there and say that he's a cop or a firefighter, or a bouncer. You know, he's always that same person regardless. I was just gonna say, he's Mark Wahlberg in a movie. Michael Keaton was becoming Batman following his last project, which I believe was Beetlejuice. For um, Heath Ledger, he'd just come off of, you know, A Knight's Tale to become the Joker. And then Ben Affleck came off of Daredevil, being his only other superhero, you know, role that he had. And then, with Pattinson going from Harry Potter to Twilight to indie films. So a lot of them, you know, visually and as far as filmography goes for the comic book fan base, you could understand to a point why they wouldn't have had faith in these individuals to embody these characters because of their previous works. But that's, again, to digress, you have to realize that they're actors. The point is they're supposed to study the role. They're supposed to become that role. So if you feel like they've been good or decent or whatever your opinion is about them in any of their movies, and they all have respective filmographies that range, it's like, for example, Joaquin Phoenix, when he got cast as the Joker, people were all about it because they thought he was going to knock it out of the park. Why? Because most of the films that he had been in had been dramas, things that have been gritty, and this is what the Joker film was rumored to be made as. So they were like, oh, well, 
he's got that cachet because he's done that genre. So chances are he's going to be good. We just need to know <laughs> how he was going to make this character be and come across. That's the only thing that they wanted to see. And then it went on to make over a billion dollars at the box office. Yeah. It was all in his pocket is what he was known for. Yeah. So, so, so and, and I don't remember there being as much, you know, like, fan reaction to when Christian Bale took over as Batman. I don't remember hearing a lot about that. American Psycho was before him becoming yeah, Batman. I love talking about Huey Lewis and the news mad excitedly and shit. He was dancing with the axe. <laughs> Which is funny too because in that scene, I, I noted it then when I saw it, you know, after the fact, of course. It was like, wow, this is the only time you get to see Batman killing the Joker. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, I mean, it was his enthusiasm. He was geeking out and nerding out while being a psychopath. And I just enjoyed the enthusiasm. And utter contempt all, for him, too. His shoulders moving. It was his, 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 like, shoulder bop with the little fucking shimmies forward with his feet when he had the axe. It was so mm. funny to me. He had a beautiful axe. Fuck him. Kill him. Multiple times. It's hip to be square. Am I the asshole for demanding my fiancé pay me back for selling my train collection? I, 28 female, lived with my aunt and uncle as my parents could not raise me. My uncle started collecting trains as a hobby when he was working as an engineer. I took a huge interest in them as a child and teenager. My uncle gave me his entire collection. When I turned 19, I moved out and found a nice apartment in my college. I brought the collection with me. Some of my friends thought it was cool, others found it weird. I met my boyfriend in college and he moved in with me after we graduated. We got engaged last year and are currently struggling with debt, student loans, and, and the wedding. My fiance asked if we could have an expert come into the apartment and price the train collection. I was against the idea and told him I would not sell the collection that was a large memory of my uncle. My best friend got engaged this past weekend and a few of us went to celebrate at her parents' lake house. I was gone for two nights and when I returned, the train collection was completely gone. My fiance came running over saying that collector came and gave him a decent price for the set. I started crying and yelling at him that he destroyed my trust and told him to leave the apartment. He left without protest and has been staying with his parents. I told him that he had to pay me back all the money. I did threaten to sue him as well. His parents were trying to argue he was only doing what was best for the both of us. Am I the asshole for demanding my fiance pay me back for selling my train collection? No, she isn't, but he is. Yes. Because I was going to say, take that to court for sure. Sue him. Because oh, if it yeah. was a good amount of money, because you're talking about like an older collection, these vintage things that probably aren't made anymore, you know? Absolutely. Possession is nine cents of the law, and that motherfucker should not have touched her shit without her permission. What else, too, is like if he only went to one person and he said, I got a good price, he probably doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Like, Right, he probably got robbed, especially if that person knew there was some good prices. I know, I have a fucking... I have a holographic Charles art from fucking 1999 that I have not fucking given up. It's the first edition, but it's not the shadowless one. And I know for a fact, you know, like if I sat there and offered that for like 200 bucks, people snatch that shit up, but it can go anywhere between 700 to 1,000. So if somebody come up to me, like if I sat there and let my kids see them and all of a sudden they're missing and my kid's like, yeah, somebody offered me 200 bucks for the whole set. Like what? What? No. No, I'd be, I'd be beyond mad. I'd break up with him. Like, it, it, it was absolutely, the relationship is over. You have touched my stuff. You sold my stuff without my position, without my permission, without my consent, and without my knowledge. You snuck behind my back, took my shit, and then sold it like a fucking crackhead. That is a huge red flag. We know that, um, that she already told him no, that she didn't want to sell it. And exactly. even despite that, he went ahead and did it anyway. Never mind... What you just said about, you know, him going behind her back, you know, that's just adding to it. Right. You're not 
about to mar- marry this person if they're like this. You cannot. Oh, no, there's no wedding. I mean, they're, they're like this over a train set or, you know, a train collection. What would they be on things that are higher stakes? You know, like this here specifically is obviously nostalgia and to an extent, like almost like an heirloom because it was a treasured possession of a loved one that was given to her or, you know, to be kept in the family and whatnot. Right. Not to mention, like, just him not understanding the value of what the train set probably is actually worth. But the fact that he would sell something that has emotional value, it's from a past loved one and he would sell it that's a problem right like dude i really wish that this person would have sat there and immediately called the police and and set this shit up to be stolen because this is egregious egregious they have no respect for you and your items and they're clearly going to sell anything that they want of yours because they see it's okay just because you occupy the same space for a limited amount of time does not give you ownership of the other person's things period What I was going to say, too, is if they're in a position where they were kind of hurting for money a little bit and his immediate thought is to go and sell something of hers, of something that he thinks he can get money for, it almost makes me feel like he might be the one with a money problem. Yeah, like why is it automatically her shit that needs to get like sold? Why couldn't he sell his shit? Some of his stuff. He probably had nothing of value. Now, fuck that. Everybody, if you have a PlayStation, you have something of fucking value. Nah. If you have a fucking cell phone or something like that, you have something of value, you can always downgrade it. Nah. He's got nothing of actual value like her collection, you know what I mean? He wasn't looking to sacrifice anything. Of course not. Of course not. I'm just sitting there saying that in general, he had nothing to, to offer that would have gotten him the money that they, you know, whatever, in his mind thought they needed. Yeah, you know what I mean? Saying, in his mind, yeah. he had nothing to offer. But, like, I'm pretty sure he had shit he could sell. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That kind of mentality is, suggests to me someone who has a money issue. If your immediate thought is to go rummage through other people's stuff and sell it, like you have a gambling problem or something. Clearly stated his prize to her, and she was unwilling to let go. The fact that he completely disregarded that period had to have been... This isn't the first time he's disregarded her feelings. This is just the most prevalent. Because this shit doesn't just come out of fucking nowhere. It's something somebody fucking does. If you had an excellent relationship, they don't just sell your shit out of the fucking blue without consideration or talking to you. Well, they would have listened in the first place. Right! They would have been fucking... Oh, I, I can't... Oh, you, you don't want to sell it? Okay, we'll, we'll figure out something else. And it sounds like they're both fucking working. They're just not covering all the debts. And if him taking this step to sell her shit isn't a big enough fucking, like, message from the cosmos, karma, God, Jesus, then I don't know what the fuck it. In this segment of On This Side of the Universe, I'm going to give you updates on news happening with comics, movies, games, etc. Yay for new segments! Black Panther 2 is now going to resume production with uh, Letitia Wright returning to reprise her role as Shuri after coming off an injury she sustained in Boston. They have most of the filming done for everyone else, so assumedly they're just going to be filming her parts. There's also controversy about her being anti-LGBT and anti-vax. So there's some controversy going on with there, and people are hating on that online for her, too. I've seen that recently. HBO Max has rounded out the cast of Batgirl. So they've already been filming in Glasgow. Leslie Grace is in the title role. Brendan Fraser is the villain Firefly. Michael Keaton will reprise his role as Batman. They recently revealed her Burnside costume. For those not familiar with Burnside, is the like high-end hip neighborhood that's across the water from Gotham. There's a rumor that Richard Madden may be returning as Icarus 
in the MCU down the line, even though we saw him fly off into the sun in that film. Um, and the reason for this is the sister of Madden's stunt double, who has only ever worked with Richard Madden on anything he's been in, which, you know, of course, Game of Thrones being the main thing. And he's never done stunt work for Marvel outside of anything that Madden was involved with. But yet it's noted that he's going to be jumping back into the MCU uh, in the next few weeks or months. So it makes you wonder, is Icarus coming back despite how we saw him go out? Catherine Hahn mentioned that uh, Agatha House of Harkness should be filming as early as this October. I can't wait for that. I'm excited. The last thing, the Last of Us TV series on HBO cast their Riley. For those of you who aren't aware, Riley was the same-sex love interest of Ellie prior to the events of the first game introduced in the Left Behind DLC, and she will be played by Storm Reed. She's been in a couple things. Yeah, yeah she, was in the, she was a little girl in The Invisible Man. And she was the daughter in Suicide Squad, in The Suicide Squad, the daughter who was yelling at a... It, uh, it just Elba. Yeah. Yeah, her. Okay. Yeah. If we're going to talk about casting that I don't quite agree with, I don't like the Joel in that. <laughs> I, I honestly think they could have done a better Joel and Ellie than who they cast. And that wraps it up for this week's episode. Tune in next week for what we will discuss next. And if you like the show, please give us a follow. You can leave questions, comments, wherever you happen to be listening to us on. Or shoot us an email at fandomsculturemurder at gmail.com. Until next time, see you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. Appreciate y'all. Y'all stay safe.